0: Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Katrina? I'm great. Happy Tuesday. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought we could just start. You could tell us a little bit about your time at GCA, what positions you've held. I know you've kind of moved from full-time teaching to a mix of teaching and administration. So let's just talk about that a little.
1: Okay. I have been at GCA for um I don't know, seven or eight years and i started as a part-time english teacher when the full-time english teacher at gca um, needed to take some family time and um, so i started then and then i worked into full-time english um, english department head and then two years ago i was hired as the dean of academics so i teach two um, i still teach two uh, advanced english classes and then the rest of my time is administrative.
0: Great. So now you're also the Dean of Academics, like you said, what's entailed in that job?
1: So um, the Dean of Academics kind of encapsulates several different things. Um, The first one is curriculum. Um, So curriculum as far as oversight and ordering and um, just evaluating the K-12 continuity. Um it also is testing oversight so we have a testing coordinator but I work with her to make sure that we administer the tests that we have to give from by the state of Ohio um, for graduation but also um, the other tests that we give to, to check to see how we're doing and, and how we're um, how we're progressing. I also work with Mrs. Deaner on professional development for teachers um, trying to help look at their strengths and um and there and even maybe some areas that they need to improve in and help to kind of mesh them up with um things that will help to, to make our teachers better teachers um and i feel like there's another one i can't think what it is right now so we'll go with those three
0: that was a lot so <laughs> that's great yeah and i know also your position has been kind of hectic the past couple of months with COVID 19 you were super involved in. And- uh, the the change how to move to list, move to distance learning and all of that good stuff.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> kind of a big shift for our teachers. So there was a lot of support to try to make it um, as seamless as possible. And I really feel like we did um, for having to kind of really go on the fly. Um, that we you know we did a a, a pretty decent job of uh, being able to step it up, step up, and step into what we what we need to do, even though it's nothing that we ever really wanted to do or really want to continue doing, yeah. but um, we, we really did strive to do it with excellence.
0: Yeah, definitely. You guys all did a great job. I know a ton of work went into that and many, many hours. So thanks for your efforts on that. You did a great job. <laughs> so can you
1: kind of tell us a little bit, why are you passionate about Christian education? I am... Very passionate about Christian education. Um, I think first and foremost, my, my passion started when I had four children. So I had four girls, and we started the Mountain Public School. and I and I realized um, pretty early on that that was not at all what we wanted for our girls and what they were being exposed to and the things that they were bringing home that weren't things that we really wanted them to bring home. Um, to, that were becoming part of who they were. And so we uh, at that time sought something else, and we went to. Um, we went into a a homeschool co-op, and so we homeschool co opted for um, several years, um, which was still lots of balls in the air, keeping four different grades going and all that kind of stuff, Um, and I taught English there at the co-op, and then um, when we realized high school was there, and that got exponentially harder, and I am not at all a math teacher um, (laughs) or really super strong in science, so knowing my own weaknesses, um, they were going to be great in English, but not maybe some of the other subjects, we decided we needed to Beyond homeschool my capabilities, um, and then I also had a daughter who was diagnosed with dyslexia, and I was told she needed twenty extra hours a week. Um, and where do you find twenty extra hours a week to, to spend on one kid? So, um, so that kind of is what took us to GCA when we started looking around, and I was super excited that we had this option that was um, close enough for us to get to, and um, and then seeing the difference between. Um, what we were able to offer even at the homeschool co-op and G- and at G certainly at GCA compared to what was being offered and what was being, um, presented as good education at the, at, at the public level. Um, there's just no comparison and knowing that even though my kids, you know, people are still people and we all have different levels of, you know, what we want our kids to be exposed to, um, but still certainly, um, you know, the safety issues were much higher at GCA. Um, So if you're only going for safety, it's a good option, but not just that, but the ability to talk about Jesus Christ in the classroom and not have to filter, but to be able to explain that this was part of creation, that this was part of his plan, was for us to be able to learn language as an English teacher and to be able to use language to share his word. Um, That's just priceless. Like to be able to do that and and know from the beginning why something, why are we studying this? And it's not just because the state mandates it. it. It's super important to get that biblical worldview throughout every subject.
0: Definitely. So that's a great transition into my next question. So what is a worldview? Can you kind of give us a definition?
1: I can. I'm going to give you um, the most common worldview. And um, really worldview can kind of be, seen in different levels. So I'm gonna go with the most basic level, which is a- applicable to everybody. Even if you don't know you have one, you have one. Um, mm-hmm. But basically a worldview is the way you see the world, the way you define the world, and the way you make judgments about the world. And the, the most common um, analogy that people use is it's like a pair of glasses. So um, you, want the, you have to have the right lenses in them to be able to see the world correctly, um, mm-hmm. to be able to perceive what's going on in the world. Um, they have to be the right color. You can't have rose-colored glasses or um Or any kind of tint in your glasses because then you're not seeing things exactly as they are And so when we talk about worldview in general, it's it's what has developed and built your glasses So we go a step further at gca and we we want to go into it and say we teach with a biblical worldview So we have this worldview that's built on biblical facts and truths that um that we want our students to learn so that as they're filtering through their glasses, those glasses are filtering through the scriptures and through what yeah. God says is truth. Not necessarily what we just have determined is truth, because one of the things about worldview that we have to understand is that um, lots of things shape our worldview that we don't even know mm-hmm. um, our, our immediate families our when we're young um, siblings. Um, When we get to eight or nine, our friends start to really have influence and they bring things that they have adopted as their worldview in and it shapes ours. And then um, all the media that we that we expose ourselves to, the games and the television shows and the movies and the um, newspapers and books, all of those things all come with a worldview. And we tend to take pieces and parts of that and then add them to ours, even if we don't do it with an awareness. We just then become somebody slightly different. We now accept that as truth.
0: Definitely. I think one thing that's really important about what you said is that a common misconception is that there could be maybe some kind of neutral worldview or lack of a worldview, but there isn't. Everyone has one. And wherever you're sending your kids to, they're exposed to parts of a worldview that's going to help shape and form theirs. So like you said, there's, Absolutely. yeah. And there's a lot of, um a lot of things that kind of play into what shapes your worldview. So then kind of, as we're talking about that, Why is the conversation of worldview important when we're talking about education and Christian education?
1: Right. So um, if you think about it, I can tie this back a little bit to one of the um, trainings I went to because I teach AP Lit. Mm -hmm. And one of the trainings I went to was with a a bunch of other AP Lit teachers that um, they were kind of teaching us, you know, a little bit about how to do AP Lit. And and they were doing like like a mixer at the beginning, you know, where do you teach and, and what's your favorite book and all that kind of stuff. And it was interesting to me that probably, I'm going to guess it was about um, 85% because I think there was another Christian teacher there, but uh, most of them were secular teachers. And about 85% of them, the teachers said, oh, I really wish I could teach this book, but it's a little too edgy right now. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping at some point that I can bring this book in and I can teach it. And that to me was alarming because I thought, what's so great about that book that's really edgy? that pushes the bounds of what society and society can be pretty loose, but society and public school accept as as okay for their students. And all of the teachers wanted to push those bounds. Um, what's the point? What's the purpose in that? So when I looked at that and I kind of compared it to, you know, what our philosophy is, why are we bringing books in? We, we, we have one, we, you know, we, we look at them for what worldview questions are they raising and how can we, how can we address those? Um, you know, is it good literature? Is it not good literature? Is it, you know, considered something like that? So, um, you know, it didn't sound like they were using any kind of thing except for, you know, how, how, how edgy can I get? That is a terrible way to choose curriculum. That is, um, you know, it's scary to me as a mom thinking that if my kid were in that class, that this teacher is going as far as they can go, yeah. waiting for the moment when they can go a little farther. So that's one of the reasons teaching, you know, with a biblical worldview is so critical, first of all, so that students can learn that they do have a worldview and that they need to have a biblical worldview. What does that biblical worldview look like and how do you use it? So mm-hmm. if they don't know, they'll never apply it. They'll never put those glasses on. They'll continue to just be bombarded with worldview and take things as they come. Um, so it's super important for that. The, the second point of that is, is that you have these teachers feeding into that every day, um, whether it's with intentionality, with a biblically integrated lesson, or whether it's just those those conversations that come up in class, when you, when you ask them a question and they you know maybe they go awry maybe they maybe they don't quite nail it and you get to bring them back and, and ask more questions to get them to understand and to get them to get it on their own so we're not just spoon feeding we're actually getting them to delve in and bring those answers out on their own so um, that that biblical integration in the class um, which is which can be daily just conversations or it can be those really deep integrated lessons. Um, is, is amazing as opposed to talking about just you know whatever whatever other teachers talk about. We had a student that went to um, COTC for English and they came back and said, I said, how do you like it? And they said, oh, I love it. My professor just curses every three words. Well, that's not a biblical worldview and that's really not something I want my junior in high school to sit under and to think that that's okay or that's funny. So being careful and being intentional on what is appropriate, what is not appropriate um, what does God say about it? What is just the bottom line with all biblical worldviews. What does God say? And they have to know it. They have to learn what that is. So then they can begin to align to it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then be able to take that further into life after they leave GCA, that they are have a firm foundation. I think the other thing that was interesting about what you just said that kind of struck me was the teachers that are pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope, how they're waiting. Um, like they're waiting for a time where they can get by with that. And it kind of shows that, their world world worldview and what they're bringing to the classroom is just completely dictated by the shifts in culture. And it's not dictated by something that's steady and that's going to stay. Like obviously our worldview is that we're teaching based off the principles of biblical truth. So that's not going to change. That's really interesting. So you've mentioned curriculum a few times. Can you tell us what
1: curriculum is? I would love to tell you what curriculum is. So curriculum, um, a lot of people think curriculum is a textbook. And a textbook is a valuable part. It's a piece that you use in your curriculum, but the curriculum is the whole package that's offered. Um, so, for example, um, and remember that I have a homeschool background, so I'm not dogging homeschoolers at all. But it's just a different it's a different way to do school. Um, but most of it is self taught, so they don't have a teacher as part as an integral part of their curriculum. They, the textbooks in a homeschool scenario are much more important because they're self they're self learning out of those for, for the most part. Um, even if they do a co-op or something, they're sent home. They're told to read stuff, answer questions and come back um, as opposed to, um, you know, in our school with our curriculum. The teacher is the living curriculum. Um, not only are they living out a biblical worldview in front of the class, but they are also living the subject matter that they're talking about. So they, they'll they use a textbook. Absolutely. They'll use resources. They'll use um, video clips they'll use tests they'll use quizzes all of those things are part of the curriculum that's driven by the instructor who is looking at it and saying hey i need to make sure that i explain this piece maybe maybe it's a secular textbook and maybe this piece is contradictory to what god says and so the teacher is going to make sure that they emphasize that in class and say hey listen when you get out to college and you see this because you're going to see this in college here's what you have to know about this and here's what you have to understand um, historically uh, according to what the subject matter really says, like a scientific fact and truth, um, not theory and opinion, um, you know, as well as what, how does it align with the biblical worldview? And that's critical, those critical thinking skills that are necessary for students not to walk away from their faith. And that's that's the value um, that really can't be quantified as having a living curriculum with a solid teacher, with a solid biblical worldview Who is bringing that in and then tying all the other pieces of of the educational part of it together kind of the glue that holds it all together
0: that's great i think i didn't even realize that the curriculum encompassed that much before you and i had talked about it before so i think that's really good information to have and to kind of understand and shows the value of what we offer at gca and how you really can't find it other places that's great so we've talked about curriculum we also mentioned Biblical integration a few times. Can you just kind of tell us what is biblical integration? Just kind of a basic definition of what that looks like. And then what does that look like at GCA and kind of our curriculum philosophy?
1: Things like that. Okay, so biblical integration is just a, a verse on a textbook. Like if you look at a lot of the Christian texts, um, they, they have fantastic verses um, that they have, they have put on there, which keeps the word fresh and alive. And, it, and it's a really good thing. It's okay. okay. But it can't stop there. Because that's not applied um, applied truth. So that's truth. That's truth stated, but that's not applied truth. Biblical integration is is getting students to apply truth either through um, the the shallow end of it, the, the one that happens kind of organically in the classroom. That should happen at a Christian school. Um, really continually is is when something comes up and and the teacher is like, oh yeah, we need to talk about that, and we talk about it. It is not necessarily planned, but it's organic and it just happens in the classroom. Um, the second piece of it, which is really important, especially, especially for those parts that um, that are, let's say more, uh, do I don't know how to say it, more distinctively wrong as far as a biblical worldview goes, that are stronger, mm-hmm. maybe that need, that we know students are going to need to have a foundation to help them over that hurdle when they go to college so they're not derailed by mm-hmm. some kind of untruth that's presented as truth. Um, those Those we're learning to, we have been learning the last two years to align with a biblically integrated lesson. And those are pre-planned. They have um, assessment ways to assess within um, the lesson so that we can monitor and make sure the students are actually getting it. Um, With the discussion in class, the student may or may not get it because you can't ask each one of them to, to speak up. So it's still got great value. They're still hearing a lot. They're hearing what their peers say. They're hearing what the teacher says, but you're not really assessing that. Um, and then next year, the question may not come up. So you might not even cover that because it's not as important. Um, and something else might be more important that year. So, so the things that definitely need that biblical integration, um, we started uh, two years ago to train our teachers to build these biblically integrated lessons that um, that are really powerful. And they go much deeper in in uh, what the students learn and in, in what we pull out of them Um, and what we can assess through them to see how they're getting it than those other kind of more organic lessons, both really valuable. But I think um, for the long term, the the, the ones that will endure longer are those biblically integrated ones. And that's why we found that was important enough to bring in a specialist to help train our teachers.
0: That's great. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask, what professional development have the teachers received? Are they receiving? Because I think all of that sounds so great in theory, but then for each teacher to kind of understand and do that, how are we ensuring and having accountability for them?
1: Right. So we we work um, specifically with Annie Gallagher, and she is um, she she developed Transform PD, which is a professional development for Christian schools, and then, and she actually did her doctorate on um, biblically integrate bibl- biblical integration, biblically integrated lessons. So this is her kind of methodology on how she um, developed this. Um, this process to try to help teachers really be able to kind of hit a home run every time instead of just, you know, well, it was a good thought, but it didn't quite get there. Um, So with that, with her, so she comes in, she actually teaches the teachers and then, um, and we still have her coming next year to do teach new teachers and still do some observations. Mm -hmm. And then she will, um, she will look over the lessons that our teachers have um, developed and will observe them in classroom and give them, um, real feedback. She has also trained um, some of our teachers to be trainers and so they are also working to um, Then to follow up with those teachers We're we're aligned like a one-to-one with a, uh, a Trainer and a, and a new teacher so that we can help them walk through that process And then once they get a year under their belt, then they're ready to kind of fly on their own But then we still have benchmarks that we set and say hey, you need to keep doing this mm-hmm. um, and I know we're going to come back when we get to the text without it and come back of at that again here in just a minute. Yeah,
0: that's great. And I think it's awesome that you have kind of those trainers so that the program is sustainable. So it's not just that someone came for a few years and everybody kind of forgets, but you kind of built in some fail safes there, which I think is really great. So yep, you mentioned the textbook audit. That's the next question I have. So I know one of the projects that you have been working on, which has been a labor of love, is the textbook audit. So what is that? What's the purpose of it?
1: Yeah. So um, we one of the things for me coming in two years ago um, that I discovered was, and it's not. I don't think it's good or bad. I think it is just what it is. Is that um, that GC didn't really own the curriculum. Like we, you know, we the teachers are the main curriculum. But as far as like everything else that's taught. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't really have a good handle on what was in the classroom, what teachers are using. Um, Was it, you know, did it give continuity K-12 so that we didn't have any gaps, that kind of thing. So it's been kind of a big, huge project was to start looking K-12 to make sure that we're aligned to K-12, that that we do use state standards just to kind of monitor and make sure that we're hitting the minimum. Um, We certainly want to go beyond those, but we should at least hit those. So we kind of use those as a rule of thumb. We do not stop there by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it also helps with alignment because they're pretty consistent throughout on the dip, the, the, the key concepts that students need to learn skills. Um, so when I started looking at it, I realized that we didn't even we didn't know. We didn't even know what, what books were in each classroom. And so um, just getting a handle on that has been huge. Um, and I pretty much know now everything that's taught in every classroom. And so the next step after that is to say, okay, is what we're teaching good? like. Um, you know we've had some administrator turnover and so with that went the knowledge of why we chose certain books over other books we don't have mm-hmm. that documented anywhere um so it might be a perfectly fine book but i don't know that so um, um and we also had a parent that questioned one of the books that we teach out of and so that kind of you know brought back to us hey we really do need to look at these books and make sure that we're okay with it that we, we're comfortable with what's mm-hmm. being presented with, um, with saying, hey, these can be aligned with a, with a really solid biblically integrated lesson or man, there's so much in this that um, this book really isn't worth having in the classroom. And if it isn't, we need to get a plan to replace it. So, um, so that started uh, in the fall, a process to come up with a rubric, which we developed um, and a plan for how to get through all of our secular textbooks. Um, and eventually we'll go through our, um, our um, Christian textbooks as well, because we need to check them for rigor and we need to check them for bias. Um, But for now, we started with secular and we have gone um, elementary. Um, We have finished almost all of the um, social studies, Uh, a couple of online programs that I have to look at this summer. Um, We have finished uh, all of the science, Um, middle school, um, we have finished, uh, science and history, and we're actually starting And then language arts. We've done almost all of the elementary, um, middle school, uh, in English is all, um, about us. So we don't have to look at that right now, but then we'll be moving into, um, social studies in high school is our next progression. So we'll, we'll do that in the science. So those are our two big ones. Um, so, We've made some great headway, and and the interesting thing that I'm finding is because I just went back over this this past weekend, was that um, the motor, majority of our books are really okay, even though they're secular. Um, they might have a couple of instances of of where we need to make sure we have a biblically aligned lesson. Um, you know, we have a couple that we're going to replace because we, we said, yeah, I think that these are more than we can we want to have to deal with. We don't want to have to be constantly correcting every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's been very eye opening to me. Um, and kind of reaffirming that, you know, we don't have to scrap everything and start from scratch. We have a pretty good foundation, but it's also going to give us direction as we go back to our teachers with these books to say, Hey, look at these flags. We have flagged every instance in here that we feel needs, um, some kind of biblical alignment. This is where you're going to, to do your next set of biblically aligned lessons. So then we'll ensure that those things are covered with a, with a really good biblically integrated lesson. Um, and, and then we'll use those to show, um, contrast to truth. So we'll teach the truth and we'll use those to show contrast to the truth, which our philosophy says that we're that it's one of the things we do in our philosophy of education.
0: Definitely. Can you talk a little bit about the process of the textbook audit? So I know you said you came up with the rubric and then kind of your presentation, who is involved and in the work that was done.
1: Sure. Yeah, so we um, so we we spent uh, quite a few hours coming up with. uh, Believe it or not, there is not one. I mean, we we one of the parent we had a parent volunteer that worked with us, and she called um, close to twenty schools, I believe, and tried to get like, hey, what do you use for your textbook evaluation? And then when you no one does it, so um, so we really had to kind of start from scratch. Um, So we did. We had uh, a document that we use at GCA for. Literary literary review for literature that gave us some foundational principles that we were already implementing. Um, that gave us some of our foundation for the rubric, and then so we worked through that. And then um, the parent and I both w- worked through one textbook and one literature book to see to fly kind of fly the rubric and make sure that it would work. Um, and then after that, then I trained. Um, I think I did 11, 11 different trainings with um, parents first. And then with um, a couple of staff members and um, and then I I handed those out and we actually had parents who were trained that. um, And we said, we'll take as many, you know, many different textbooks as you want to do. Some of them did two. Most of them did one. And um, that is through most of the elementary. So um, after that, then we have we currently still have a staff person that is um, working through some of those texts, doing a great job of flagging those um, worldview potential issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she had two children that graduated from GCA. She's well-founded well, well founded in the GCA worldview. Yeah, that's so, great. So we that's did that. a lot of work. So that's where we are. <laughs> yeah, that's where we are now. Our goal was to be done um, by the beginning of summer with all textbooks, um, with the distance learning that came in that kind of derailed it a little bit. We're still yeah. making great progress. So the hope will be now that by the end of the summer, then we'll we'll have those all done.
0: That's great. Yeah, I know COVID-19 kind of threw a wrench in some of those plans, but I know too, several people were still trucking through and making their way through the books during distance learning too, which is great. (laughs) So that kind of wraps up most of the questions that I have. Thank you so much for joining us. I think so many, so much of the stuff we talked about are kind of maybe some buzzwords that we kind of use that I'm not sure everybody had a great foundation on. What is actually a worldview? What is biblical integration? What does it look like at GCA? So I think this was going to be super helpful for a lot of people to just really understand what our curriculum and our integration looks like. So thanks for joining us. Do you have anything anything to kind of leave us with any other thoughts on this? I didn't cover.
1: Um, Hmm. I don't think so. I would just challenge um, whoever's watching to to try to start discerning what worldview you have. Um, if you haven't thought about worldview, maybe maybe have a discussion with your family and try to look at it to say, hmm, you know, do I, you know, do I just accept things, or am I really going back to scripture to to try to align with that? Um, it can be very eye opening once you realize, you know, maybe maybe we need some adjustment, or maybe you're spot on. And but it's a great it's a great conversation to start having with your children. Um, as so that they can start becoming aware of it and not just going through life you know assuming that it naturally happens which it it does but maybe not in the way that we yeah maybe not
0: in the best way (laughs) that's great I think that's a great (laughs) challenge we should all definitely be thinking about so thanks again for your time everybody don't forget to tune back in tonight at 6 p.m. we're going to be interviewing Pat Johnson about some of our student life at GCA bye everybody